Hey listeners, Sourdough here. Listen, today's episode is a different one because my partner in crime and regular co-host, the renowned Man One, can't be here today. So I've asked a couple of friends from the entertainment business to come in and co-host with me. Their names are Eric Winter and John Steinberg. Eric is an amazing actor, producer, and children's book author who's currently playing Officer Bradford on ABC's The Rookie. Maybe you've seen him. John is a former actor turned entrepreneur and is the creator and executive producer of The Rookie. I've known these guys for a while now through my connections in the entertainment business and consider them great friends. I've asked John and Eric to be on the show because they're artists too and I thought it'd be cool just to sit down and chop it up over our mutual interest for the arts and creativity and crazy business that we're all in as artists. So without further ado, let's get started making some not real art. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is Siri, and you're listening to my favorite podcast, Not Real Art. I live for this shit because it's totally lit. Welcome to Not Real Art. What's happening? Series. Hey. Hey, you guys. You don't know this, but this is Siri's favorite Creative Culture Podcast, and they call me Sourdough. Yeah. Sour, sourdough. 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 Power. So here's what's unusual about today's session. So usually these shows are co-hosted with my partner in crime, the renowned artist Man One, Angelino's own OG artist, and he's not with us today. And so you guys get to help fill his shoes as my co-hosts. Honored. Honored. Thank uh, it's you. The honor's Thank all you. mine, yeah. and I'm feeling very grateful for you guys showing up. You're very busy individuals. Well, we're big fans of your podcast, oh, so it's well, like it's all coming full well, circle. I, I know you. You know, I know you've listened to every episode. Everyone, everyone. So you know then what the whole shtick is here, right? So we all work in this crazy business called we'll just call it the arts, the creative industry, the creative economy. Which, by the way. Ernst and Young valued at two trillion dollars globally. That's a lot in of 2015. A lot of lot of money. We're trying to get a few. Trying I to get want... a small cut for ourselves. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, Eric and I are partners in crime on that front. That's right. So you know, given this huge industry or this huge culture that we're a part of as artists, as actors, as writers, as producers, as designers, what have you, we created this podcast to celebrate and elevate these stories. Right. And just sit down, right, with our fellow colleagues, our fellow friends that work in the arts and just talk, right, about our passion, talk about our pain, talk about our interests in terms of what we do. Right. And so, our listeners typically hear Man and I talk about our struggle around being visual artists. There's a whole angst around that. But you guys have this really interesting life as. Television, working in television as writers, producers, actors, as talent. But our listeners may not know who you are. Why don't you tell us uh, who the hell you are? Eric, what's, what's, what's your story? Please, please. <laughs> well, my name is Eric Winter. Started in this crazy business as a model years ago. And you can tell. Dude, you're so ugly. How, how did you do that? It was it was a struggle. It He's was holding a, up yeah, it was with a, a face a, like a that, with a mug like that. <laughs> He's holding up quite well. I was taking advantage of... No. <laughs> <laughs> was taking a lot advantage of plastic of, surgery. Yeah, that's exactly. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was you know, a student in, at UCLA studying pre-med. Got wrapped up. Real dumbass. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got wrapped up dating a girl who told me you should do this. And why aren't you doing this? Because that's what people do in L.A. 
And I had taken a drama class for fun as an elective, and she helped me get with a manager that took me on as Always a model. A woman, isn't it? Always, yeah. yeah she, yeah. you know, pushed That's my career roll. forward. That's how we roll. And uh, I got very lucky early on. Got a got a big campaign for Tommy Hilfiger, and it sort of boosted me into this business. Dude, you know, I think I was wearing your pants. <laughs> my underwear. Maybe. I was wearing <laughs> underwear. Those <laughs> underwear models. <laughs> little flags. Briefs. Those little flags. Little flags. And that, you know, that has uh, snowballed into an acting career with a lot of study and hard work and a lot of no's and and. Okay, let me see your points. sad face right now. If you're an actor, let me see your sad face. Oh, it's just. <laughs> oh my God, I'm gonna cry. It's a Are you okay? Face. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more of just pissed off and angry. It really don't get sad. You just get mad. It sucks. I don't ever walk away sad. It's always like, why? Why wasn't it me? And you I don't understand. And you normally don't get the why. Yeah, and that's the you don't usually part. get the that's why. Part which of the is arts. A very difficult part of the, the arts, and especially. Yeah. Someone, like I come from a sports background where you yeah. generally can get the why right. as to, you know, watch tape. This is why it didn't work. This right. is why you missed right. the tackle. Right. This is why so, you screwed so up. So let me break this down for a second. So wait a minute. So if I understood what you were saying now, you know, what our listeners don't know that you and I know each other socially. So I know this a little bit, but like basically what, what I've learned about you over our friendship is that I really have to hate you. I have to hate you. You know why? Because <laughs> not only are you fucking ugly, you're dumb <laughs> and you know, like, so, so let me break this down. So you were an athlete. You were a model and you were pre-med. So like you're a triple threat. <laughs> he's like Wookie in uh, something about marriage. <laughs> yeah, I heard he's modeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Eric, they're one step at a time. Eric, I, I know, I know, I know you're used to things being all about you, my friend, but we have to share the love today, right? Yes, because 100%. we have this other tall, dark, handsome uh, guy over here. Uh, who Never the hell are you? Them. Who the hell are you? I'm uh, John Steinberg. I work with Eric on The Rookie. He gave me a job. Uh, what, is, what is The Rookie? The Rookie is a police dramedy on ABC, uh, Tuesdays, 10 o'clock. Mm -hmm. Eric is uh, Lieutenant Bradford. He's amazing. And I'm one of the executive producers on the show. How the hell did you get that job? You know, like Eric, it was a long road. Uh, I studied communication and writing and theater at uh, Syracuse and got out of school and I tried to get into the CBS Page program, which was like the way to get into TV in New York, which I highly recommend if anybody uh, is listening right now that wants to get into television. And I couldn't get in. And funny enough, I kind of backdoored my way into doing TV commercials as an actor. And I was the, for those people who are probably 40 and above, I was, I was the son of the MCI campaign and the friends and family. I was the TD Ameritrade guy and had a nice little run, but I always wanted to get into TV. And, and Can our listeners YouTube those ads right now? Yeah, that, that's I don't know. happening oh, yeah, yeah, It's kind of funny. But I went oh, as John Stonehill. Uh, John Stonehill was the SAG name. So what I learned a valuable lesson is as I had something else going on and I cared less about getting into the CBS page program, the stars aligned and they called me saying, come back in for an interview. I no longer wanted the job. And I said, you know, just for the experience. And I learned so much about life that I went in there and wanted to learn rather than try to sell myself. It was more about learning what they were looking for than trying to sell myself of what I wanted from them. And by the end of the day, they actually begged me to take the job. And so I uh, became a page at CBS, did that for a couple of years while I was doing commercials and, and writing and, and eventually uh, moved out to LA in 2001. So to wait a minute. So we have a New Yorker and an Angelina. Because mm -hmm. Eric, you were born and raised in LA, right? Born and raised here. Yeah. Around oh, all this crazy people wow. actually are born and raised and here. Wait, wait. It's so strange. <laughs> and, and I'm born and raised and uh, in and around the flyover city of Chicago. So one of know, my we've favorite got, cities. You know, we've got we're all represented yeah. here. You know, it wasn't until I moved to LA that I ever heard that phrase flyover city. I so I moved to LA. Because the connection city is a big hub. Is that well, why? Well, you know, because <laughs> some fucking asshole. No, no. So I'm at this dinner, right? And somebody goes, "So where are you from?" Because I just moved. And I said Chicago. And he goes, "Oh, the flyover city." 
I don't understand how somebody would say that. It's it, like a major yeah, awesome well, you know, major. I had never heard that before, right? So I said, well, what do you mean flyover city? He said, well, you know, you fly over Chicago to get from New York to L.A. And I was like, you know what? Keep flying over. Yeah, dick. <laughs> That's funny. You want an asshole, right? I've like, never heard that Keep flying over. So I've anyway. Never heard that. Even if it was a place that technically I've never been to or plan on visiting, I still wouldn't say that to the no. person who's from there anyway. Of all the cities that are a flyover, one of the biggest, best cities. Like, there are plenty of other cities totally. that are flyover cities. Oh, and a major, God. I mean, how many amazing, talented actors and comedians came Dude, out of I Chicago? Have so many, I have so many stories, which I won't go into, but I have so many stories about days in Chicago, you know, out with the boys, you know, randomly meeting somebody at the bar from LA and we would you know oh where are you from oh LA oh come with us <laughs> yeah cut to them you know under the table at midnight going what's the problem pal anyway okay so what I love about our stories right and what really what brings us together is because I mean let's cut to the chase right we're all artists I mean you know yes some of us are have scientific analytical minds as well but you know we have a real artistic core you know we're creative people I mean you know for whatever reason we were you know, passionate about expressing ourselves through different mediums and stuff. And so, I mean, it's a real struggle. I mean, you guys both have had real struggles and we're still struggling. I mean, nobody's really where we want to be yet. Right. Especially in this business. I think with art, it's always, it's, it's a growth process. You know, you're constantly changing and you see it, whether it's an artist that paints or whatever, they're always going through periods and phases that they're you know, evolving through. And I think with actors, same thing, producers, same thing. And, you know, you brought up a very valid point. It's like the moment you sort of stopped not caring, but putting so much of your energy into one thing, it all of a sudden flipped and it came to you. And so I, th I feel like so much of the creative in this business, it's a lot of that. The more you continue to just put so much energy into that, not that you shouldn't give it your all, but when, you, when it's all encompassing, it seems to put up a flag to people that they can see. Yeah. And when you release that and you just do it for you and you're creatively passionate about it, right. people start coming to you in an interesting way. And, and I think that was a point that you brought up that I can fully relate with. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and we're all telling stories. I yes. mean, you know, it's a visual medium. I mean, all art is visual. I mean, obviously you're, you're more in stills. Eric and I are obviously, you know, telling a story. Live you, action. You know, live, <laughs> action. <laughs> live action. And I think in terms of listeners out there, I, I would also keep your eye on the marketplace. Uh, it's a business. And I think that you can't be naive to ignore that. And I, I think you really need to tap into, and I think one reason why, you know, you and man have done a great job. And I think one reason why Eric is, is successful and why the rookie is doing well is, you know, what is the marketplace? Now you need to tell a story that taps into some kind of universal experience right. that people could relate to. I mean, that's what we're all doing when we watch these stories is how do we relate to this and how does it take Empathetic. us to this? Yeah, to empathy, a certain place, yeah. but you also want to see of what what that marketplace is and and how you could combine your vision, your creativity, with the marketplace of what people are looking to buy. And I think that has to be a dual kind of process. And if not, I think you're lessening your opportunity to succeed. Well, and it's interesting too because I mean, both of your perspectives are obviously very rooted in your realities, right, Eric? You're primarily in front of the camera. And John, you're primarily behind the camera, right? As a producer, writer, as a as a on air, you know, talent, what have you, Eric. So, and it, it's just it it is an interesting uh, symbiotic kind of dynamic, right? In at least in this town, and you guys come together really. I don't know if you knew each other before the rookie, but you came together on that project, correct? 
Yeah, I we mean, we met at Davos. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. That's right. That's right. The birthday party, but yeah. still not really knowing each Which, other. Which, by the way, we should maybe confess to the listeners. I mean, this could be the real Husbands of Hollywood episode of the Not Real Art podcast. <laughs> yeah, I like, to think, I like to think we're the men of ABC. I, I, like, to, I like to think of ourselves well, as... Yeah. I'm not me, not me anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as of Friday, I'm just a civilian. <laughs> we, love, we, we love you, Channing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, we met at a party, and, yeah. and I mean, I'm a big fan of Eric. I mean, forget the good looks. He's just a warm, he's one of these dudes that you just warm up to. You're a great guy. And that being said, business is business. And even though I liked him tremendously, when he came into screen test for The Rookie, it was down to him and, and another talented actor. And from a business perspective, right off the bat, Eric is incredibly talented. He dug extremely deep, I think deeper than ever. He really brought it. Uh, Liz Friedlander, who is the director of the pilot, who's amazing, if she's listening. Love you, Liz. Shout out, Liz. Shout out, Liz. Liz worked with Eric before and was a big fan of Eric. And and I, having met Eric before, was a fan of his personally. And when he came in, he killed it. I mean, he really did kill it. And, and that's something that artists need to, to realize. You need to work your ass off and you need to really bring it. And, and the more prepared you are, the less nervous you're going to be. It's not a matter of, oh, I need to be spontaneous. I can't prepare that much. No, prepare your ass off. And Eric brought it and from a business perspective, just yeah. to being frank, besides the fact he's incredibly talented, the fact that he's very good looking doesn't hurt. I mean, you know, we're going after an audience that has a lot of females involved, and I felt like he had the whole package, and I felt like we were lucky to you get it. You said him. package. That didn't hurt either. Well, that takes us to our Koreatown spa nights, <laughs> yeah. which is a whole other thing. And I'm a big hey, this fan. Is a, this is a PG-13 show. Eric in the magic underwear is a different conversation. But, you know, look, I mean... As artists, we're all on our own journeys and we all get to where we want to go various ways. And oftentimes it is so not a direct route, right? I mean, it is, we take the scenic route. Generally, know? that's the case. Generally. Almost everybody does. And yeah. John, I mean, your journey to the story of the rookie and like the, the, you know, like, like this is rooted in your own personal experience. Like talk about that a little bit. How did you discover the story and bring it to ABC? Thank you. Yeah, I had a long journey to get to where I am today, and I think we all did. I was uh, I moved out to L.A. in 2001 when everybody was laying off. I ended up getting a job with Peter Himes, a director, and, and lucky enough, I knew his son from Syracuse, small world. He was intent on hiring somebody with agency experience, which I didn't have, and then he had Ken Burns' baseball book on his, on his table, and I'm a huge baseball fan, and I love Ken Burns, and next thing you know, we're chatting for three hours, and that's something else I would say to artists, and Eric, you touched on this before, Read everything. Read the New York Times every day. Read, read it, like read magazines, read newspapers, read the world, educate yourself. No matter what you think, the more educated you are and the smarter you are about what's going on in the world, the more it's going to help your art, whether it's a direct translation or just you being a fuller, more interesting, rounded person to relate to the people that you need to work with to move ahead. So we hit it off. I got a job with him, then started writing, sold a couple of uh, projects as a writer, but never got the break. You know, got a couple of things sold, uh, set up. They didn't move forward. The Writers Guild went on strike in 2007, and I was affected also by the SAG strike in 2000. So at that point, I wanted to take a break from entertainment, and I got into the entrepreneurial space, into the startup scene. I was involved with a blog called Rundown. We were a competitor of Thrillist and Daddy. Yep. Email magazine for men. We we're all trying to be the daily candy for men back then, but de delivering kind of a city guide to men through their inbox when email was such a more of an innovative form of communication. And through that process, I lead it, led all sales, all biz dev, closed dozens and dozens of campaigns with blue chip brands and really learned how not only to sell, but to tell a story. And when it comes to sales and everybody listening right now, you need to sell as well as you need to perform your art. And that's part of the process is to sell your art or sell yourself. And 
really focus on not just trying to impress the person, but sales is about solving a problem. What does that other person need and how can you help them solve that problem? And when you approach it that way, it's amazing of, of going through that process of the last seven, 10 years in this space and launching two or three companies of, of focusing on the business, even though we're storytellers. And so when it came to the rookie, I had a dating blog, even though I'm happily married. It was called Check Their Fridge. As Scotty, you know, Eric, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but it was based on my single life when I was single, where I would analyze somebody's dating prospects based on the refrigerator. And next thing you know, I'm on dozens of morning talk shows. I was blogging through my alter ego, John Stonehill, and I got approached to do a reality show. And I realized that I did not want to do a reality show, but I really wanted to get back into entertainment. Meanwhile, an old friend of mine from Syracuse was going through this experience of reinventing himself, and he was the real-life rookie. The rookie's based on a real person. I took his story, I embellished what needed to be embellished to create the most inspiring story possible, and I important for artists as well as, as both uh, Eric, uh, Mr. Sourdough, as you know, IP, intellectual property. You know, if you're going to develop a project, the more intellectual property you can have to support that project, the better. I got the life rights to the real life rookie. I saw an amazing one hour dramedy show here. It, it you know, for our listeners, and I know there's probably one listener who has not seen the rookie, just one. I know everyone else has seen it, so they know the premise. But for that one lonely listener out there who's oh, saying to themselves, thing. you know, what is the rookie? Give us the quick uh, elevator pitch on the uh, premise. It's about a 45-year-old guy who is going through his life and realized that he's not doing what he was meant to do with his life. And so he wanted to do something that mattered. And he looked around the country, and the only major police department in the country that takes rookies over 40 is the LAPD. True story. So, true story. So he moved out here. And think about this. He's 45, and nine months later, he's walking the streets of LA with a gun on his hip, ready to shoot somebody if he had to. I mean, the life transformation he went to. And there's this amazing fish out of water story here. And we all love fish out of water stories, right? He's 20 years older than his fellow rookies. So he's a little older. He's in not as good shape. He's a little, little more hardwired. But on the other end, he's got a superpower. He's so much smarter and more educated than his fellow rookies, as well as probably 95% of the entire department. He has and The life experience he has is such an amazing, valuable asset as a policeman. And so he could get wins and empathize with people and relate to people. And all this amazing of running a business for 20 years, now that he's a cop, he knows how to really tap into people and empathy and really kind of relate to them in a way that 99% of other cops never would be able to do because they go straight into the police force. Well, they're 20, in their, in their, in their five, 20s. whatever. Yeah. So, it, so there's really this amazing character and the fact that he was dating a fellow rookie who was, you know, 20 years younger than She's him. so hot, by the way. And I'm like, say. wait a second, you're having sex with a girl born in the 90s? That's amazing! Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I thought, yeah, this is a great show. Right. So right. I brought it to Mark Orton's company. Right. Which, by the way, I just want to say all the ladies on the show are very, very attractive. I really like, that's really the only reason I watch the show. The thing, I, <laughs> Eric, the, no offense. No, the, the, look, I mean, look, we have Mr. Handsome over here and I want Eric to chime in. But the, the one thing I will say is somebody who like kind of oversaw the casting. What I love about the ladies on the show is you actually buy them. As cops. Yeah, As cops. Totally, even though they're yeah. beautiful, yeah, they're not. We saw the beautiful 90 pound hot little model coming into it. You're like, all right, is this girl really going to kick somebody's ass? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, can yeah, buy yeah. them all. That's, right, that's right, the right. beauty of it. Right. So, can, sure. I, so can I tell you guys just a quick story? So in 1997, I was carjacked in Chicago. Yeah, it was carjacked, right? So long story short, which months and months, uh, I ended up, this guy was, the guy that jacked me was, uh, eight, had been convicted of seven prior felonies. He was like a career criminal. So I put him away for another 15 years, right? And when I was the court date, 
the knock on my door, they said, well, we'll bring you to court because I was getting threatening phone calls because he was connected and they were like, didn't want me to testify the whole thing. Anyway, so I opened the door and there are these two Irish bombshell female plainclothes vice cops. They're like, we're here to take you to court. I'm like, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Lock me up, ladies. It was like, it was like, wait a minute. Some of my favorite movies start like this. <laughs> there was a, she was a, one was an Irish blonde. One was an Irish kind of redhead. They both have big guns on their hips and, and, and yeah, they were very nice. Anyway. So Please. Eric, your character is really interesting because you played like this tough guy, but really you got like a, like a soft center. Yeah. No, I mean, he, I mean, as a character of the soft center, he is, it comes from a lot of personal turmoil and heartache that he deals with, I think, you know, from the, with the love of his life, which is his, his wife and trying to learn how to balance that situation with the fact that she left him for drugs, essentially. And that sort of gave him this hard, hard outer shell, even though he tries to still, I think he's still in touch with who he was when he was happy, but there's this outer shell and this wall he's put up with everyone around him. And I think it's also shaped the way he polices and how serious he takes his job as a training officer working right. with right. I would not rookies. want to get pulled over by him, by Bradford. <laughs> yeah. That guy, is, I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's a fucking asshole. He's no I mean, nonsense. Yeah. The, you know, he's the kind of guy that you will never, he's such a good cop. Yeah, but right. and he's by so book. fair yeah. by the book. Yeah. Nothing, you know. If you're a bad guy and you're not guilty, you're not guilty. If you're a bad guy and you're, gu- I mean, you know, then you're a good guy. And if you're a bad guy, right. you're going down, and you're going to go down with whatever he's got to give you. And I think his life experience also is something that has really shaped the way he handles situations. Maybe sometimes not always for the best, a little bit hot-headed and hot-tempered and irrational at times, but still with the heart of being a good cop at the forefront of that and and training good rookies okay i have a question for you eric because there's an episode i don't know which number it was but it was our our hero gets the dubious honor of the vip ride along right oh yeah, yeah that was just last seven seven yeah, yeah. Okay. That was last week. and and it's sort of like positioned as like you know it's the shit job like nobody wants to do the vip you know but i'm guessing to prepare for your role you had to do a ride along I did, yeah, okay. I did a few ride-alongs. Yeah, I did a few. And oddly enough, I was like the peacemaker of the city because every time I did a ride-along, nothing happened. And I mean, I went to Rampart, one of those difficult divisions. Crickets. Yeah. Everybody just stayed inside. Yeah. They were afraid of me. Finally, on my last ride-along, I did one with, with Liz Friedlander, our director, who I love. And we got in a serious situation that was, I can't even imagine what goes through. Well, I know it went through my mind, but what goes through a cop's well, mind well, I mean, on a daily on, basis? Tell us what happened. You know, it was totally by, by happenstance. He took us down a street. It was the night of this one gang's big annual party. So it was like their corporate night, their big party night. And they Those celebrate are, yeah. being yes. a gang, I yeah. guess, this night. It's their Christmas. <laughs> it's their Christmas party. Hey, man. It's their holiday party. It's a business. And you know? uh, we thought they'd all be out. And I guess what they often do is start at a house or on, you know, on a street that's a known gang street. And then they mosey on to Hollywood and hit up clubs and then they come back and that's when trouble usually you know happens. The gang unit was off that night, which is odd. And we went down the street. Somebody's going to get something miscalculated schedules here. So a sergeant who drives, you know, rides along with us, took us down this street. And in a normal street, you have cars parked on each side of the street, and then it just became double parked on one side. So it became a one-lane road. And as we went in, 
we came to a house and this is a known gang street the gang house they, you know they all casey streets they know which houses are gang you know houses and we pull up to one area where he's about to show us and there are probably a hundred gang members out on wow. in and around the street on the block in the house out of the house that's a good party. and this sergeant decides to say hey <laughs> what are you all doing here double parked <laughs> If you don't move these cars, I'm coming back with my boys. And I'm like, why do we feel now is the time to engage these these uh, gentlemen that are just sitting here doing nothing at the moment about double parking? Because I'm really fine with it. And I'm in the back. I'm in the back seat, which is not bulletproof door. And what are the, what are the guys saying? Poking the bear, you this know? Is, yeah, the bear. this is when you see all the posturing come up. And, you know, they have a mutual respect for each other. Not You know, no, gang members don't just want to go to jail unless yeah. they have something to prove. I mean, they have business that they're trying to do. Right, and, you make know, money. Yeah, yeah. Getting themselves in trouble is not exactly yeah. what they want to do every right. moment. Right. So, but you just see posture and a movement, and you see people sort of start to go back, and some come forward, and you know, one just says, "I don't know, man. I don't know why they're here." And then the <laughs> cop says, "We'll get it all sorted out, or I'll be back with my boys." Then we go to make a turn to leave, and another car full of gang members basically blocks us. Yeah, and we can't move. Chicken. And wow. Chicken. It becomes who's going to move first, right. so we can go around them. Right. And at that point, again, the posturing and the people around that house coming towards the car a little bit, just to sort of, right? it's all present. Sandwiched. Right? You feel, sandwiched. felt the whole energy yeah. in the car and around you, yeah. like the environment goes quiet, like you feel in the, in the movies. And the I'm in the, again in the back seat. The cop in the front seat pulls up his gun and has it below the window. Wow. So sure. if he's doing that. Yeah. Yeah, you what know, are they he, doing? Yeah. You know, he's... Yeah. And Perez was in the backseat with no, you? No, Liz is in the front seat, which wow. is bulletproof door, and I'm in the backseat, <laughs> which I got nothing. And I'm like, this I'm can't... I'm laughing because clearly we know the ending. This can't be happening. What am I going to do? Holy I'm toast. I'm in a bull trap. And yeah. ultimately... Are you wearing Kevlar? No! Oh, Jesus. I'm just in my Jordans. <laughs> my we we got to protect the face. <laughs> Forget the body. I mean, it's even... And, and they want those Jordans, and by the way. Little they... by little, everybody inches, and they let us drive out. And I would say within five minutes, that cop is on his cell phone. He's on the walkie. He's radioing everybody in town that we got to go bust this house and move them or else something's going to happen. And within 10 minutes, there were probably 60 cops. We all met at a church's chicken at 11 o'clock at night. I'll never forget it. Like game planning, how we're going to infiltrate the street. And I remember the funny thing was I got recognized while, I, so they're all there. And one dude had seen me in Harold and Kumar. Yeah. And so we're standing there. I didn't know you were in Harold and Kumar. Yeah, I'm in the second one, the Guantanamo Bay. I'm, oh, okay. I'm Kumar's. I'm the douche that's trying to that's dating Kumar's ex-wife. <laughs> he can't stand. So I marry her at the yeah. end. Yeah. So I'm Colton Graham. I didn't know that was you. They call, yeah. So this guy's like, hey. You look familiar. And I'm like, oh, this is not the time to have this conversation with 60 cops around. And Liz is like, yeah, he's an actor, Harold and Kumar. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's uh, that's me, that's me. Let's let's figure out what you guys are doing with this game plan. And they're like, are you guys cool scaling the wall? And I'm like, I'm not scaling a wall. I have a Kevlar vest. I play a cop. I'm not a cop. And then we were like, kind of excited to do it. And air unit came over and they let me radio back to us after we'd mapped out our plan that everybody left. So these gang members took the warning. That's so funny. And left. It was that simple. Can you believe it? That's a great so story. Apparently, but okay, I was so, scared. Yeah. I, mean, I freaked out. Wow. It was intense. Okay, so that is intense on many levels. But the, the one of the levels that it's intense is because in the rookie episode, the whole point is that the, don't put the VIP in harm's way. Yeah. So my concern with you I is like, maybe you're not VIP enough, my friend. <laughs> yeah, because I clearly got put in really, harm's yeah, way. They're like, you know, no, let's put. I yeah. was like, 
We're not thinking this straight. I'm in the back seat, guys. There is no door that's going to protect me. Wow, man. That yeah. is crazy. It was wild. It was, uh, it was a great learning experience. That right along. One thing that Eric does great, I'll chime in, and I really do mean this. I don't know if we, we, we talk about stuff. You have a rare gift of being likable even when you're a dick. And that's something that you do well on the show. And I think that's something reason why is you, you talked about the Bradford character. You do a good job with that. And that that's a balance that is is hard to manage and, and you you really do it well. Well, but I think it's partly because the viewer believes that his intentions are good. Like he might be a hard ass and he might, you know what I mean? He might be a dick, whatever. But like, you know, his core is kind of you know, well-intentioned. And it happened even like in the pilot. And that was what I've heard a lot of the testing and even people that just commented after it aired. It was like people couldn't stand me and didn't know what my MO was, why I was so hard on my rookie. And then when they saw the interaction with my ex-wife right. and that she was an addict and what he's going through on a personal level, everybody started to empathize with my situation, you know, and, and feel for me. And realize this is a guy that's trying to, you know, every day trying to do good and work his ass off on the street to protect people. Yeah. Yet he's got this crazy personal turmoil going on. How do you balance real life with what you're doing, you know, on the job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and going back to real life and going back to what we're here to talk about in terms of the art, what probably most of your viewers don't realize is your character is based, the story of your character is based on a real story. Yeah. And in terms of art, we have to learn how to curate. Mm -hmm. It's all about killing your babies and what works, what doesn't work. And, and, one, a death sentence to an artist is thinking that every single thing they do is a gold nugget, and it's not. Uh, a lot of what we do are turds, and we have to separate the well, turds from the what's way, good. Well, by the way, to that exact point, right? So I just got back from Art Basel, Miami, right? And I was talking about this yesterday with somebody. They're like, well, how was the art? I'm like, well, 80% of it was crap, 10% of it was promising, and 10% of it was genius. Like, that's it. So to your point, yeah. I mean, not everything you do... Exactly. It's going to be good. And by the way, don't be afraid to say to yourself, oh, yeah, that's crap. Let's throw it away. Well, Let's go on to the next. You know? Yeah. And, and so what was interesting is when I've heard hundreds of stories from Bill, the real life rookie, you know, uh, who the show's based on. And out of the, the hundreds of stories I heard, once I probably chose five stories to sorry, this will be part of the pitch of what we bring to, you know, the, the production company, the studio and, and move on to the network. And one of the stories is, is real life story a guy that my friend was in the academy with, he was the second oldest rookie, maybe he was 30, whereas my buddy was like 45. So he had life experience. He had an eight-year-old daughter. He was a smart dude. His very first shift, his very first radio call on his first shift, they have to go to a 7-Eleven, the 7-Eleven the on Temple in Rampart. That 7-Eleven, we've all passed by. And he pulls up and he goes white as a freaking ghost. And he says to his, commanding, to his training officer, he goes, sir, I have to tell you something. That woman there is my wife. I have not seen her in eight years. She's the mother of my daughter. I thought she was dead. Crazy. And that was the very first call wow. he ever took as a cop. And when I heard that, I just had the chills. Holy and shit, that man. led to sharing with Alexi Hawley, who's our talented, you know, creator uh, showrunner. I shared that story with him. I'm like, and he and I are both on the same page of like that. That's a story that we have to somehow get into this pilot. Well, by the way, if you actually saw story. that, if you saw yeah. that in a television show, you would think, oh, that that's you would just, think it's just for it's TV. Totally you would fiction. think it's drama yeah. for television. That's when I when I first read this. You know, that, that was one of my audition scenes. I thought, you know, great scene. Yeah. This was clearly written for dramatic effect. When I learned it was a real story, I was like, can you believe? And that's why when things are meant to happen in life, for you to experience something, they happen. Yeah. It's what you're supposed to go through in that moment. And that and shaped your whole character. Yeah, and one reason why character. you're so like, I mean, it's complex in a great way. Yeah, well, I have, of course, silly enough to do this, but like I have a story idea. Let's hear it. I got to pitch you guys. Ready. Right. Go. 
and I'm not professional like you guys. I don't know how this is done. I'm just going to like share something. You take it and run with it if you know, but here's the truth, right? So I know a lot of graffiti writers and what a lot of people don't realize about graffiti artists is that those guys grow up in neighborhoods that they have a choice. They basically, they have like, they can either join a, pick up a gun and join a gang or they could pick up a spray can and become an artist, you know, and, you know, a lot of people look at graffiti art as just straight up vandalism. They don't understand that this is rooted in a community and a culture that doesn't have a whole lot of options, you know, and these kids are actually trying to do the right thing and express themselves and express their frustration. And so it's a, it is a very human reality. So I think it'd be an interesting storyline to uh, explore how perhaps your character, Officer Branford, somehow befriends this graffiti writer that is struggling in this world. And uh, maybe the other cops thinks he's, he's an asshole, but you know he's actually a good guy and what he's going up against. And you can sort of humanize this reality. So anyway, well, here's what's here, 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 here's here's interesting. Where, here's where my mind goes with this, frankly. It's something we could talk about with Alexi. And I think it's, here's the thing. You're bringing up a great subject. Now it's like, how do you twist it, filter it, and make it actionable? One thing that might be interesting is... There's a graffiti artist who's your secret informant, and by what they, the way they tag buildings mm. during the day, yes, that's interesting. Are actually mm. secret signals to Bradford of what's going on in that neighborhood and what to watch out for. That's, that's actually interesting. interesting. Wow. Yeah, that is so interesting. So suddenly now you have this interesting dynamic of people. Because what you want to tap into as much as possible when it comes to artists, we could all relate to. And I'm just so happy to be sitting down with you guys because I, I'm such a big fan of both of you, is how do you curate, how do you obviously take something and do the best you can to make it relatable? And I'm not saying you have to sell out and be commercial, but that being said, if you could take something like a lot of people, as you said, Scotty, Mr. Sourbido, they see, uh, and I grew up in New York, and frankly, growing up in Growing up in New York in the 70s and 80s, I hated graffiti because you go on the subway and the whole subway car was graffitied and you felt like it was vandalism. Yeah. You know, that that's what you felt. And we all drive by this graffiti, but if suddenly you take this commercial, relatable concept that we've all seen and suddenly it becomes this interesting twist on something we already know, that's why The Rookie sold. We've all seen a zillion cop shows, but instead of the typical story we've all seen of the young stud rookie and the seasoned veteran officer and they learn from each other, we've seen that. We did a twist on that and suddenly the seasoned mature guy is the rookie and, and you know they learn from each other and there was this twist that, that related to... So just going back to your graffiti idea, there's a way to make that interesting. And and I actually, that's something I will share with Alexa. I think that's, you know, suddenly Bradford being the guy and being the stud cop that he is, he's going through the neighborhood and suddenly we play up this, this concept of he's got a great relationship with a graffiti artist who tags things in certain ways to kind of give him the download of what's going on in the, in the division. Could be somebody Isabel even, you know, tipped me to at some point to stay in contact with. That's right. Okay, so hey, I was just going to say this one last thing, right? Because if you if you explore the storyline, don't make the mistake that most people in your industry make by trying to contrive some, make it real, make it authentic, work with a real artist, work with, you know, with, with somebody that's legit. Well, I think right. we know somebody. You, you, yeah. you know somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I can hook you up. We, we have a contact. Look, 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 it, is, it is amazing, like, how many times, like, it's like, no, 
hire a fucking real artist. Like, why are you hiring an actor to play or uh, hiring a graphic designer to design graffiti when you could just work with a fucking graffiti writer? For sure. Anyway, all right. So shifting gears. I here really for do a like that idea, though. It is cool. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Got so, it. You, know, you can carry that into a big bust. <laughs> yeah. That could be really cool. There's an interesting mechanism there. Yeah, and the the artists win. Like, this is about the community, saving the community, artists helping to... And maybe even Lucy, your partner, does not like the graffiti thinking it's vandalism, and somehow we then see there's something else there that other people don't see. And you'd think that I'm the one that would be completely annoyed by vandalism, but but I actually understand the the street code of what's going on. That's right, that's right. And and exactly, the struggle, right, that these kids have. Good. I like all right, it. All right. So my work here is done. Sourdough. <laughs> yeah, sourdough in the house. You delivered. So Eric, you know, we've been focused so much on, you know, obviously the rookie and talking about your career. But like what a lot of people may not realize, dude, is that you are also being an artist, right? Multidimensional. You are also a children's book author. Yeah. Yeah. That was something else. That, <laughs> that, you like, know, I, like talk about that, man. Like that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. That was one of the best journeys I've ever gone, you know, gone on with my, with my wife. We one point wanted to do an animated series and it kept rolling into different areas. Like you, you, you throw things out, you, you know, you keep reinventing the idea and trying new, new, new things with it. And after the birth of my daughter, we started talking about this. We you know, you're, you find yourself buying a bunch of books, buying a bunch of books for these kids yeah. to read. And we found there was a complete lack in the market to fill the need for other types of dance that weren't ballet. By the way, can I just stop you for a second? Because this is you're hitting on exactly what Steinberg was talking about, Johnny Johnny Stonehill over here. Anyway, what he was talking about in terms of as an artist looking at the markets of business, yes. finding those opportunities. Where's the void? Where's the void? Yeah. And you saw a void in the children's book we market. We saw a void in yeah. that space, and we thought, you know, it's not just about one form of expression. Again, art, funny enough, dance, right? It's not just, kids don't just all do ballet. They don't all come from a background of it being that. And ballet, there are it's male and female. I didn't know you came from a background of ba- ballet yes. background. <laughs> Jesus, this guy. The guy's in La Puente, I was the only ballet. <laughs> He's working. Only you know, dancer. <laughs> right before med school, yeah. I was dancing for the. <laughs> um, and then I modeled uh, exactly. before I went to Oxford <laughs> and rode crew. And it, it went to Juilliard uh, for Hilfiger ballet. I had a tutu yeah. line that was all mine. Uh, <laughs> you know, we found this this void in in that space with in regards to art for kids when it comes to dance. And my wife being Puerto Rican and, and a dancer herself and coming from ton, knowing tons of Latin rhythm and the success of ballroom, you've seen like Dancing with the Stars and stuff like that. We said, let's talk about a little girl who learns, who's always wanted to dance Latin rhythms and do some ballroom and do a salsa and merengue and a cha-cha. And let's talk about the origin of those arts and where they, you know, how they evolved and what they became. And let's teach kids how to get up and move and dance and express themselves. And it so turned great. into a story about that, a little girl going on a journey. And Sabella. how and how'd you go from story idea to actually get the book written? Right. Did you have to Published, get a, did you have market, to get a, did yeah. you have to get an illustrator? Like take we had to get an illustrator. We got an illustrator out of Puerto Rico that my wife's known for years. And it's felt again talking about authentic art speaking to the cause. We found an artist that felt authentic to our idea. That really, really elevated the book. Yep. And it, nothing felt contrived about doing, oh, here's a book about Latin rhythms, yet None of the illustrations feel like they go hand in hand with that. My wife and I wrote up a whole uh, synopsis of what we thought, because we're not children's books writers, to, to know exactly what to write page by page. We wrote up what we thought the book could be, and our agents presented it, and Penguin bought it. 
That's so and it was it was cool. amazing Bravo, when that man. happened, you know. And and at that point, brought in the illustrator, and it was a long, long process. But finally, getting that released and how long was the process? A few years, a couple of years of finally going through it from our, you know, from inception all the way to selling to a year of art development, and then finding the release. How, how long was the time frame? If you don't mind, I'm I'm curious. How long was the time frame between selling to you guys, actually finishing the script, the text of the book, and then from there till the book was released? Probably a year and a half, maybe at that point. Not to mention the six months or more before that of us writing and trying to get it sold, because the art itself took at least six to eight months. You know what I mean? And you have to get their penguins approval, our approval, constantly going back and forth, making the dialogue work on what pages and the the art working with the dialogue. And then it was just trying to pick a you know a time for launch, and it was. Is it hard to carve out promotion for the book with like both of you guys being successful working actors? We were able to make it work for at that time. It, we, the time of the launch, it was able. We were able to work it out. We did a little tour in New York and got out there and promoted, and it was great. It was great. Such a great very story. Very fun. Man. Very fun. You know, journey. Something very different for us. Is, is there a uh, sequel in the future? I would love for there to be. That was that was something we talked about. You know, what can Sabella go on another adventure doing? You know, what can she do? So well, we got Dylan now. Come exactly. on, put, give him an adventure. Exactly. We Jesus. Go ahead and, do it. and how do his friends <laughs> respond to a boy into? I mean, into dance in that culture? Yeah. There's maybe something. By the way, there. here's the thing, man. Dylan learns how to dance. Oh, right. That's a life skill that will I, serve him well. You, with his two I'm parents? I'm telling you. <laughs> kid's going to kill him <laughs> with <laughs> ladies. Right. That's one thing I wish I was so much better at. Like, you know, growing up, you're like, oh, I don't want to dance. I don't want to do dance. You, you get there and you're out and you see Wait, some, some yeah. dude tearing it up and you're like, man. Yeah, shout out. No, no, shout out to the middle school sock hop right circa 88 or whatever the hell and and you know the girls are in the in the middle of the floor dancing and the and the guys are just standing along yeah, yeah. the perimeter <laughs> looking so cool true. Yeah. and then when you did when you dance you got the you got your hands on her hips she's got her hands around your neck <laughs> you step got your right, go-to moves left, and then step <laughs> right step left and oh my god my hand's getting closer to her and i'm trying to make sure my, and i'm trying to make sure so my true. erection isn't pressing against her leg <laughs> it's so true you know uh, middle it's school so, true. so hard <laughs> Free social media when people had to engage face to face. Yeah, I know, right? Boy, Imagine can, that. Time has changed. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, cool. Yeah. It was a great. It was a great way to uh, again grow and expand. And like you alluded to, when you're in this business, you really got to know the market as a whole. What else is out there? What keeps you creatively stimulated? Is is Penguin pushing you for? I mean, obviously with a, with a book like that, I assume are, they're pushing you for more. No, they haven't. I mean, it hasn't come up in that way yet. But they were they were very pleased with it, and it's sort of it comes down to a combination of things. I mean, that division changed over, and it was under a, a division of Penguin called Celebra, who eventually merged into just Penguin Kids. That guy has since left, and you know new regimes and everything come up come and go congratulations that's really you. cool man. so we'll see if it anything you know evolves from it further but it was it was a lot of fun we're sitting with a renaissance man sourdough totally <laughs> this, it was swiss army knife over here you know of, cre- of creativity so it. okay so we spent a lot of time right as artists talking about the art we've done the art we're doing what's next I mean, because like the curse and the blessing of being an artist is that we're always having new visions, right? We're always seeing new things, right? We're always having ideas to say, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. I mean, we're never really satisfied, right? Because I think we're overachievers inherently in that we, we want to create, we want to create, we wanna, we're not happy with what, what was yesterday. We're more interested in tomorrow. So in today, maybe. So the point is, is, what's next for you guys? Like, you know, what, John, what, I mean, you're busy. You just came from another meeting where you're, you know, trying to sell another story. But I mean, where do you want to be five, 10 years from now as an artist? Like, what are some of the projects that have you excited for the future? 
It's a great question. I mean, I, it's, it's that, and it's, it's the hardest question. I mean, because I think all of us in life, it's life flies by and you blink and two years goes by and then five years goes by. And it's crazy that, I mean, Eric and I met, you know, a year, like, well, a while ago, but in terms of the rookies you know, already, you know, we met almost a year ago now. Yeah, I'm working on a couple of projects. I got a couple of projects set up, uh, one at Sony, one at 20th. And looking to set them up, I enjoy being independent right now. I enjoy being able to work with anybody, you know, going through this process. And I'm sure artists, when it comes to the visual arts, tapping into Eric, coming to the performing arts, you get to a point in your career where you want to be creative and you have to be smart about the business. And that's that's the place I'm in right now. And I have this interesting perspective of borrowing a page from the rookie of having this great life experience and business experience being out of the business for a dozen years now being back in it and having some momentum it's really that fine line of of you get approached do you want representation and the upside is you have somebody fighting for you the downside is well suddenly now you're locked into more of their stable of writers and, and you're getting pushed in certain directions so I'm kind of enjoying really seeing where the wind blows for just a little while here you know getting some projects set up working on what I'm passionate about in terms of having an overall that's come up in discussion. And again, you know, the upsides of that compared to being more locked into a certain studio versus having the opportunity to work with anybody. So we'll see, but there are a couple of projects in particular that I think are, are, are relevant. Uh, I think in general, what's so important about any kind of dramatic story is, can you create a story where you really have a great argument to argue out. And I, and I think in terms of the rookie, I think what's what's fascinating about the rookie is you have an argument there of, of the downside and the upside of who he is. And, and you could really, you know, you, you have obviously the, the humor and, and Nathan Fillion is, is, is incredibly gifted of being likable and funny and charming and everything else. Yet he's great at playing that dramatic side and, and he is super smart. And I think as season one goes on, I think viewers are going to see that we're, you know, he's going to, he's really discovering his superpower, you know, as the season's going on, which I'm, which I'm, and I think everybody involved with the show is excited about in terms of this other project I'm working on uh, about, um, actually hold off on that for now, but it's, again, there's a great argument to be had there of here's this fascinating character and and there's an upside and a downside. And and I think for all artists, especially uh, when it comes to writing, if you could find uh, an argument that's relevant and, and have a great strong argument on both sides you're onto something. But John, you're a, you know, just like Eric is, uh, we all are, I think, a multidisciplinary artist. I mean, you have your hands in different things. You're also a tech entrepreneur, right? At creating uh, interesting apps and things in the tech world. What's what's happening with your endeavor? In the I'm tech working world? on an app called Plans, P-L-A-N-Z. Because Z, we all, that's we all, cool. Well, we all know that's hipsters. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm old. But I know the young hip kids now, they like to take a word and change a letter, like yeah. lift with a Y. Yeah. You know, it's a very cool You're thing so to do. Street. I, I'm following the cool kids. <laughs> and so Plans with a Z, uh, the, the 30,000 foot view is what uh, Expedia did for hotels and airlines. I'm doing for restaurants. So the restaurant reservation space is getting increasingly fragmented. And you have Open Table, and they're obviously... Obviously, the whale, as we all know, but now you have uh, Resi, you have Seven Rooms, you have Seat Me, which got bought up by Yelp, and more and more of these com- of these restaurants are going to these other platforms. And so, for the first time, we are aggravating, aggregating, I should say. Uh, oh, you're all- aggravating. Yeah. Right. I, I aggravate myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm aggregating the platforms. Yes, yeah, so we're aggregating these different platforms like Expedia for restaurants. So for the first time, you could sign into these different accounts and find and book any restaurant you're looking for from one place. And what we also do, which is an interesting twist, is we invite the user to integrate 
our app with their existing calendar. And if they do, we will automatically curate and show them restaurants that are available for the date and time of the food-related calendar events that they create. So if I put in my calendar uh, dinner with Eric and Sourdough Friday night at 8 o'clock, we will automatically send you a notification and then show you the best available restaurants for Friday night at 8 o'clock that you could book based on the calendar event you just created. Oh, fantastic. Oh, wow. That's cool. And it's so fun. What, I mean, yeah. entrepreneurship is is incredibly creative if you allow yourself to be. And and starting a business is as creative as starting well, and look, anything. I mean, sure. I would, the artists I know are incredibly entrepreneurial. I mean, yeah. every artist I know is a small have, business. I mean, be. they're mm-hmm. creating product and IP all the time. And you're a brilliant so entrepreneur. So can our listeners download the app right now what's happening we are probably about a month away from being on the uh we've been approved by the app store we're just doing some final tweaks and then we're going to bring on our first beta users if people are interested john at makeplans.com j-o-n at m-a-k-e-p-l-a-n-z.com shoot me a note and and i'll engage with you yeah. if you're interested sure that's great man yeah thank how about you. you what's uh what's what's up next for you what i mean obviously you're very focused on the show i mean you yeah. gotta you know but as an artist as a creative professional what other things are inspiring you we have a few more months till we wrap and but i'm always constantly busy and as we've talked about working on other things and i also have been in the producing space for a little while now and i have yeah i have a show that's in contention right now in development season over at fox and i have uh, another one at development at warner brothers so it takes up thank you it takes a lot of my time some are newer and some have been passion projects for a long time talk about journeys like the one at warner brothers has been a process a very long process and is it a personal story or based on my dad's life yeah based on my dad's life that is your your dad was quite a character yeah Yeah. it's like a fascinating story (laughs) fascinating a period piece set in the late 60s yeah I'm really excited about finally seeing where that one can possibly go. So with the time off from The Rookie, I'll be obviously looking for other ways as an actor to continue working, which is always the case. Find a movie, find something in the off season, wait for our season two pickup. <laughs> Knock on wood. Absolutely. Everybody watch The Rookie. Uh, exactly. Tuesday Sorry, guys, I can't help with that anymore. <laughs> Tuesday, 10 o'clock, ABC. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, produce content. Right on, man. That's exciting. That's exciting. Well, you know, I ask because, you know, the, this goes back to why we're even doing this podcast. Right. Because there's so much energy and activity happening in the creative world. And, uh, you know, the purpose of this podcast is to celebrate and elevate those stories. These stories are not getting told in mass media, really. Sure, you'll get an interesting artist interview on NPR or sure Time Magazine has their annual design issue. But there isn't a dedicated media company focused exclusively on art, design and creative culture. Right. And so this podcast is really meant to create. And by the way, there are other podcasts out there that are doing this. And I think the reality is because it's a two trillion dollar segment of the global economy and represents a multi-billion dollar lifestyle, because being an artist isn't a job, it's a calling. Right. And yet that community isn't being supported through mass media in a, in a focused, dedicated way, right? So one of the things I hope Sirius Radio is listening because like one of the, my vision, the thing that's exciting for me is I want to create a channel on Sirius Radio dedicated to creative culture. Can you imagine having a channel where artists get to do what we've done, right? All day long, right? And if I'm Sirius Radio and I got 32 million subscribers, don't tell me a couple of million of those people aren't way into art, design, creativity, and want to hear about 
the not just the art, but the business of the world, the artist, the art behind the art, the, the, the process, business, you know, the process, the whole thing, right? So, you know, we started this podcast to as an experiment to see what we would learn. And I have to confess that I don't think I would have ever have thought of talk radio as a platform if it weren't for this podcast. And, you know, everyone's so focused on podcasts right now. And that's great because they finally figured out how to monetize, you know, podcasts. So people are focused on it. But I'm a big zigger. When people are zagging, I like to zig or whatever. Right. So and no one's really thinking about or at least, you know, I think it's a matter of time. It's this is going to happen. Right. It's going to happen. Eventually, Sirius Radio is going to or, you know, Apple Radio. Somebody's going to do this. But I want it to be us. People love hearing stories. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all art is, is like a story, whether it's even a, a flash of a moment in time of a story or, you know, Eric on, on The Rookie. But art is telling stories. And, and frankly, what you're doing with this podcast is you're telling stories. You're telling yep, stories right. behind the art. That's right. And I think you really hit the nail on the head when it comes to a calling. Because one thing I, if I had to go back to Syracuse and say, this is what I've learned, I would learn that if you don't have a calling or you don't love art, or you feel like you're just as happy being an accountant, I think you'd be the craziest person in the world not to be an accountant. My dad was an accountant. And you know what? At the end of the day, if you learn how to be an accountant, you're going to make great money, and you're going to go to Europe every year, and your kid's going to go to a great college, and you're going to have a nice life. doesn't mean it's the life for you, but if you love art, you should absolutely do it. But I agree with you. It should be a calling. It shouldn't be a way to make money or to find fame because there's a lot easier ways to make money and, and be famous well, in today's but, world. You know, the most I, unstable profession. Yeah. And I mean, well, but, but, you know, but the truth of the matter is guys, I mean, like you think about when we say art, we're using it in a very kind of specific way. But like, when I think about art, like I'm thinking about it in a very broad way in terms of saying like, you know, a graphic designer who's working at Leo Burnett advertising agency would love listening to this show. And in fact, they would love having a show talking about graphic design vis-a-vis -vis advertising or talking about advertising. How many people love talking about advertising, right? As a, as an art form. And so there's this whole culture of uh, creative professionals, you know, that live a lifestyle uh, that celebrates art and creativity and, you know, telling those stories and supporting those folks, I think is really important. And oh, by the way, like really one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is because it would reinvent arts education. You know, we're so focused on, you know, we you know that these budgets are being cut. And my question is, how can mass media help? And I think that radio could kind of fill that void. Eric, well, I, I, I just think one thing as everybody's talking that I love about this idea and the podcast and, and, and the idea you have in, in bigger scope is people with art in general are so used to seeing a final product, but no Nobody understands how you got to that. That's final right. Product. That's and, and exactly that journey right. to get to the product yeah. is so interesting, sometimes more interesting than the art itself, yeah, because right. it had so many more ups and downs and layers to actually see the final piece. It's like when you 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 go to you know, Europe, for example, and you see an old sculpture and you look at the Statue of David, and you're like, oh, my God, this is the final product, but nobody knows how many incarnations it went through to get to that final product. What was first there, then chopped away, and then put back. And how then many be, years? You know, to yeah. get to that final piece. And that struggle, because it's a struggle for everyone yeah. to get to that piece, even if you're a brilliant artist and whatever you did, you still chopped down a lot of stuff to get to that final thing. A hundred percent. And by the way, the journey is like, amazing. And yeah. to talk about it's special. For sure. And, and, you know, we talked about the rookie being a dramedy, right? The art world of fucking dramedy. Well, so is that. And, and also just bringing it back to a very commercial form. Advertising is a short, is a short movie. I mean, I, I think it's safe to say if there were no commercials during the Super Bowl, they'd lose half their audience. 
I mean, that's why half the people, I mean, so many people that watch Super Bowls. Is for the big can, you imagine, can you imagine Sirius Radio having a challenge? And then the day after the Super Bowl, there's a show that they just talk about the fucking 100%. advertising. Well, they do that on TV the, already. Right, exactly. All the commercials that don't make the cut or didn't make the right. cut. That's and exactly. why did that commercial right. make the cut? And who was the genius that came up with the best commercial right. for the Super Bowl? That's right. How did they come up with and that creative have, vision? And you have that team come on yeah. and talk about it. Like, you the know. creative vision to get to the final product. Because we all have seen a Super Bowl and had that one moment in a commercial where you're like, that was amazing. That commercial was incredible. Who are the yeah, minds totally. behind that commercial? How'd they come up with that idea? Get the guy who did the, the 1984 Apple commercial. I mean, like that, I know it's one of the exactly most famous commercials right. of all time. No, but no, like, exactly well, like, I mean, right. look at that. I mean, exactly that's exactly right. 30 years later, we're talking about exactly that. Exactly right. The path to get to that is, is incredible. And the, I mean, one of my, some of my favorite scenes in Mad Men were like some of those moments when you're really, as Eric Sama, when you're tapping into the process and the time and you might see this great illustration or, but to see the, the rejections that is, as, as Sourdough, you said, the, the graphic designer at Leo Burnett, yeah. that guy's getting shit on, you know, a dozen times a day for a month before finally he gets that approval and he's banging his head against the wall and he's got to put food on his table for his kid and even though he's creative he also knows he better deliver commercially yep. or yep. else he's out of a job yep and there's, and a, he, there's and, a drama there and even with all the frustration he couldn't imagine or she couldn't imagine doing anything else because they you know inherently love what they do so well i tell you what i love you guys and i love what you guys do and we're so lucky right to to be friends to be in this crazy business and i'm just so grateful that you guys took time out of your busy schedule to come sit down and chop it up with old sourdough well we're glad to be here we had a, bl- <laughs> it was I had a lot bl- of fun. I had a blast where i'm a fan of both of you guys and i feel like i'm the lucky one sitting here so I- i'm gonna thank both of you i learned a ton just <laughs> just yeah. as we're talking that's something like listeners like yeah. you're learning so much insight into what's Absolutely. going on uh, love, we'd so, lo- love to be back on well we'd love to have you back on and for our listeners you guys got to tune in abc the rookie we just had our mid-season finale. You could watch it on ABC Go, and we kick back off uh, January 8th. Tuesdays, 10 o'clock ABC. Please watch. Now, what about your socials? Because, you know, of course, the listeners, you know, we, we want them following you and tweeting yeah. you and sharing you. I, I only do Twitter and Instagram. Eric Winter 1 on Twitter and EB Winter on Instagram. I think I'm real John Steinberg at Instagram. <laughs> I think. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> the real John Steinberg, Instagram. Yep. Excellent. I think you Excellent. are, too. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Well, and I'm going to encourage our listeners and remind our listeners to make sure they follow our podcast at Not Real Art Official on Instagram. Of course, you can find us on SoundCloud, Not Real Art Podcast, and of course, NotRealArt.com, where they can learn about our upcoming conference, March 16th, the Not Real Art Conference, a learning event for artists to come together and learn, share, network, and grow. We've got four big events coming up in 2019, the Not Real Art Clubs, going to be a lot of fun. And of course, the podcast, which is released every month. So thank you, gentlemen. Thank Thank you. Thanks for having us. And excited for your events next year. They're going to be great. Thank you. Me too. We'll see you there. 